0: We'd like to get started. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, please. John chapter 12. And we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of John. This morning the message is entitled, Belief versus Unbelief, Our Daily Battle. Belief versus Unbelief, Our Daily Battle. This is John chapter 12, verse 37 to 50. John 12, 37 to 15. Let me read this to you. This is the best time of the week for me. Sunday mornings, churches are gathered all across this city to preach the gospel. Men are standing up right now to preach. It, it's just, it, can't, it doesn't get any better than this because, because what this passage is about is about the word of God. This passage is about, it's about a word, but it's about God's word. And today, God's Word is being preached. And right now, God's Word is going to be preached to you. So listen carefully. This is the most important time of the week for you. This is the time when God's people gather together to hear God's Word preached. And so may I preach it faithfully, and may you listen to it faithfully. Now let's listen to God's Word. Let it refresh you this morning. John 12, 37 through 50. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Verse 38. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, this is now quoting Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now verse 39, John switches back to giving us his narration. Therefore, they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, now John is going to quote Isaiah again in verse 40. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, an amazing verse here. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things. Now this is John writing about a prophet who wrote maybe a 1,000 years earlier, maybe 800 years earlier, okay? So John is going to now comment on what Isaiah wrote 800 years earlier. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw, he, Isaiah, saw his glory, Jesus' glory, and spoke of him, or of it, the glory of Christ. Amazing. Verse 42, nevertheless, now John back is narrating, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, in Jesus. Now remember, this is occurring about three days before Passover. It's a couple of days after the triumphal entry. The city has been rocked by Jesus' entrance. A couple of weeks earlier, he had raised someone from the dead. Jesus was definitely the star of this Passover season. All right, so it's not unusual for for John to write verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Verse 44 now. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now listen carefully. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him when? On the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. Verse 50. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So, folks, let's listen now carefully to the Father. Let's pray. Father, give me now the grace to teach your word. and Give my friends the grace to hear your word, that we might honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus changed water into wine and declared himself the giver of life. Jesus cleansed the temple and declared Himself the place to meet with God. Jesus healed the sick and He raised the dead and declared Himself the resurrection and the life. Jesus fed the multitude miraculously and declared Himself the bread of life. Jesus stood in the temple on the great feast day and declared that He alone had living water and if anybody thirsted, they should come and drink from Him and He alone is the light of the world Jesus stood before a humble, broken multitude and declared himself their good shepherd who would give his life for them. Here's the question. Will you believe what Jesus declared during the first three years of his life? Will you hear his word and believe his signs and obey him? You see... This sermon is about words, and not just any words, but God's words spoken by Jesus Christ over the first three years of his life, Jesus Christ who is God incarnate, Jesus Christ who is the very word of God. These words are powerful words. You've heard some of them just now. They cannot be ignored because they are words for which God holds each one of you and me accountable. They are words that will either bring us great blessing or great judgment depending on whether we believe and obey them or disbelieve and reject them. I urge you to listen carefully to these words and believe. God's burden for us today is that we would believe Christ's words spoken here in the Gospel of John. That's what you have in your notes the propositional statement of this message. God's burden for this message, I believe, is this believe the one, Jesus, who speaks God's words. Believe the one, Jesus, who speaks God's words. You see, Jesus is the Word of God. At the very beginning of the book of John, that is what we learn. In the beginning was the Word. The word was with God. The word was God. That's speaking of Jesus. He's the word incarnate. He's God incarnate. He's the second person of the Trinity. And thus, he's the one who has and communicates God's word here on earth. The question for each one of us is this. Will we listen and obey and believe in Jesus' words? That's the question God has for you today. What will you do with my word? If, if God were here, and he is, but if he were here incarnate, and if he were speaking next to me, he would say to you, will you believe my word? Will you believe this word spoken by Jesus Christ, my servant? Now, in your notes, the first point there under the main propositional statement, believe the one who speaks God's word, some can't believe Jesus' words. Some simply cannot believe Jesus' words. And this point speaks to God's sovereignty in salvation. Now, folks, here in chapter 12, we come to the end of what is called the book of signs. The the gospel of John is divided into the book of signs and the book of exaltation or glory. Corey provided the pivot or that point of transition last week when he talked about the glory of God is revealed in the dying of Christ. Therefore, if we want to experience the glory of God we must what? Die. Totally antithetical to what the world teaches us. But that's the pivot point of the book of of John. Here John takes 12 chapters. We're coming to the end of chapter 12, which will, will complete the book of signs, to tell us of the first three years of Jesus' life, which were dedicated to really promoting seven signs We saw some of these signs. He turned water into wine. He cleansed the temple. He healed uh, a layman. He healed an official's son. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He gave uh, sight to a man born blind. He fed 5,000 people with with five loaves and two fish. So seven signs, three years. Boom. We're going to come to the end of Jesus' public ministry. Twelve chapters, three years, seven signs. Now... Chapters 13 through 21, it's going to be, we're going to slow down in the next three days of Jesus' life. He's probably got about three more days on this earth as a non-resurrected bodied person. We're about three days away from the cross. Now we're going to start walking slowly and Jesus' public ministry is over. It ends with verse 50 here of John 12. And now what we're going to peek into is his private ministry. You know, This would be the behind-the-scenes video. This would be the making of the movie. Whenever you watch a movie, and you, know, you, you get the DVD, and then you can, hit, you can hit the bonus material, how the movie was made, what the director said to the actors, how the actors experienced the movie, what was really behind it, what's the storyline. You meet maybe if it's a movie about a real person, like Band of Brothers is about real people who fought in World War II. You meet the men who are now in their 70s and 80s, about whom the movie was. And it's fascinating material. So the next couple of chapters in John 13 to the end, it's going to be fascinating material of Jesus saying one-on-one to his disciples, I'm done speaking to the crowds, now to you guys. Here is the deal. Okay? So at this pivot point... At the end of the book of signs, beginning the book of glory, the book of exaltation, which is just the the second half of the book, talking really leading to his uh, crucifixion, we see this pivot point and we see the Messiah. But what's shocking, I don't know if this is shocking to you, but it's shocking to me, is that the end of Jesus' public ministry ends in apparent failure. Look at verse 37 again with me. Verse 37. What does it say in verse 37? It says this. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Though he had done so many signs, they still did not believe in him. This begs an explanation. But before I get into the explanation, I have a question for you. Does this describe you? That though he's done so many signs, do you still not believe in him? Now, there's two levels upon which I would ask this question. If you are an unbeliever, what we would say, someone who is unregenerate, someone who does not know Jesus, who has not bowed his knee to Jesus, and I'm speaking to you about salvation. Would you have seen so much and heard so much and still not believe? Oh, friend, I beg, believe. I beg you. But on another level, this speaks to us as believers, does it not? And we're going to see here, we're tempted to unbelief as well. Have you seen so much and still do you not believe? Now, for you, that unbelief may manifest itself in fear that God won't provide for you or anxiety or maybe anger, maybe unforgiveness. But I I just want to ask you, have you seen so much And do you still not believe? Let this word draw your hearts to believe and be blessed. That's God's burden with this word here this morning. But we must look at our text and please, Lord, explain to us how you can do signs for three years and the result of that is that they do not believe. Well, here's the result of it. Strap on your spiritual seatbelts. We are diving into the very deep end of the pool. Okay, look at verse 38. John, in verse 38, is going to explain the astounding statement he made in verse 37. It was true, but astounding. No one believed. Verse 38. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And let me just set that up for you. He's basically saying, in verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, comma, they still did not believe in him, comma, See all those commas there? You like this, Dale? I'm, I'm doing proper grammar, okay? So the sentence is still kind of open, okay? All right, so verse 37. Though he did so many signs before them, comma, they still still did not believe in him, comma. Now look at verse 38. So that, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. You want to know why they didn't believe in Jesus? Because it wasn't God's will for them to believe yet. Because the word that God, that God gave in Isaiah had to be fulfilled. So God's firmly in control. It's not like Jesus failed. It's not like he spent three years trying to convince them that he was God and he failed. No, no, no. This was God's will. You got that? God's sovereignty and salvation. I told you it's going to get deep. Get ready. It's going to get even deeper. Here we go. Verse 38. Quoting from Isaiah. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now that's a direct quote, and you can jot this down in your notes. From Isaiah 53.1. Isaiah 53.1. Isaiah 53.1 is in the midst of, of the suffering servant's song. Write that down. Suffering servant's song. You need to study this. John loved the Old Testament. John quoted the Old Testament a lot. He quoted Isaiah a lot. You want to do a nice study? Study John and Isaiah. Study the use of Isaiah in John. And see how God reveals his truth 800 years later. Corey, was it 800 years later? Because I know somebody's just thinking, when did Isaiah write? 700 years later? Great. Thank you, Corey and Miguel. All right, so 700 years later, John is going to reveal for us what Isaiah wrote. Because God inspired Isaiah and inspires John. And so what John is saying here is the reason people didn't believe is because the suffering servant had to suffer and be misunderstood. If you read that whole section of Isaiah 52 and 53 through 54, you will see that it's a portrait of of God. Now, they didn't know that. They thought it was talking about Messiah, and they didn't equate Messiah with God but God coming down, being misunderstood and suffering for you and for me. Everybody missed that. So so what John is saying, what God is saying, is they didn't believe Jesus because they were looking to Jesus as a military Messiah, a military leader, who would lead them into victory over Rome. They missed the fact that he would be a suffering servant first who would lead them in victory over sin. And then, later, come back, and we're in in the in-between time, and lead everybody in the victory of his kingdom in his second coming. So they miss that. Okay? That's what they miss there in verse 53 which is quoted in verse 38. Now, let's jump to verse 39. Therefore, uh, verse 39, circle this word. This word has caused much consternation in many people's minds and hearts. I've had many discussions over verse 39 with many good friends. Some who agree and some who disagree. <laughs> and they're all Wonderful, good friends who love God with all their hearts. Therefore, they could not believe. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. They could not believe. They could not believe. For again, Isaiah said. And now he's quoting Isaiah 6.10. So jot down there next to verse 40 of John 12, Isaiah 6.10. You you can dive into that this afternoon and study it. Here's a quote from Isaiah 6.10. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Wait a second. God blinds eyes and hardens hearts. I thought God came to open eyes and soften hearts. Yes, he did, but in his timing and his way. Welcome to mystery. you comfortable with that? I hope you are. I pray you are, because scripture is. <laughs> if you demand more clarity than scripture gives, then you're demanding too much clarity. Verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should they, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Now, verse 41 is amazing of John 12 because having quoted Isaiah 6.10 which is commenting on Isaiah 53.1 then, then John by the Holy Spirit says, hey guys, the reason Isaiah said these things is because somehow he peered into God's glory and spoke of him. He peered into God's glory and spoke of him. So what do, we, what do we learn from all this? Here's what we learn. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him, spoke about the rejection of Jesus as God's suffering servant. I don't know that he saw Jesus per se. I don't think Jesus came and revealed himself to Isaiah in person. It wasn't an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. But I think he got a revelation from God that Messiah would suffer. I know he did. And he understood that which no one did uh, through the 700 years until Jesus, even to this day, three days before the cross. And so he's saying it had to happen this way. They couldn't believe because God was going to hold it back because this this was his plan for them not to believe and crucify Jesus. Remember what Corey said last week, my hour has come. That hour meant his death on a cross. It had to happen this way. So what does that tell you and me? This is what I would say to you. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. The rejection of Jesus by Israel was foretold in these Old Testament passages. And so, listen carefully, is not outside God's eternal purpose. Now, two scriptures that you have in your notes that I think prove this. Here's two scriptures. I'll read them to you. They're from your notes. Romans eleven seven 7 through 8. You have those there, right? Great. Okay. Romans eleven seven 7 through 8 says this. This is the Apostle Paul now writing about Israel's rejection of Christ as Messiah, as Savior. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. Isaiah 6.10. Down to this very day. And then, and then skipping over to verses 11 and 12 of Romans 11. So I ask, did they, Israel, stumble in order that we might fall? By no means. Rather, their trespass or their rejection of Christ, excuse me, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles... How much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, no time to get into this, but it was God's will for Israel to reject Jesus wholesale. Very few Jews ended up believing in Christ after the very first century church. But that meant salvation for us. But there's going to come a day, Scripture clearly teaches, that there's going to be wholesale salvation among the Jews. Amen. May it be, Lord. And when that day comes, look out. And it's coming. It's going to be really cool because we happen to live in a place where there's a large Jewish community and we need to be praying for them because God, they, are, they are the people of God. Salvation is in Jesus Christ, not just for the Jew and not just for Israel. They miss that. It's for everyone. But there is, the, the, the Jewish nation has a destiny with the Lord and it's in Jesus Christ, their Messiah. And it's a great privilege for us to have that I know of two Jewish individuals here in the, ch- in the church that have received Christ as their Messiah. I don't know if there's others. But I know of two. And I'm just so glad. And it's a little foretaste. It's a little foretaste. All right? Okay. Back to our regularly scheduled sermon. Listen carefully. We're still under the point that some can't believe. Jesus has been rejected because God has so willed it. God's main point is that human unbelief cannot escape from the all-embracing purposes of God. Human unbelief cannot escape from the all-embracing purposes of God. It is not man who trumps God by his will. It is God who trumps man by his will. Mystery, yes. Scriptural, absolutely. How this is so certainly escapes us. That it is so, John does not hesitate to affirm and neither ought we. And that's why he cites these two passages, Isaiah 6, 10, 1. Quoting from D.A. Carson, Don Carson, who's a theologian we would respect, whose commentaries we read in preparation for these sermons, this unbelief of verse 37 was not only foreseen by Scripture, but on that very account, necessitated by Scripture. Okay? Necessitated by Scripture, which means necessitated by God, because Scripture are the very words of God. Such unambiguous predestinarianism Use that word at payway this afternoon for lunch. See what you get. Such unambiguous predestinarianism is never set over against human responsibility. Verse 37 presumes there is human culpability. Verse 43 articulates an utterly reprehensible human motive for unbelief. Meanwhile, God is sovereign overall. What does that mean? Here's what it means. God is sovereign in salvation. Man is responsible in salvation. Let's go to that point. Next point. Some won't believe Jesus' words. Some won't believe Jesus' words. In your notes. Man's responsibility in salvation. Look what it says in John 12, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved God the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So often, friends, we find ourselves battling for faith in the arena of man's approval. We all battle the love of the glory of man versus the love of the glory of God. Which glory do you value most? Which glory do you bow your knee to the most? Two examples from my life. Just recently... We went on a evangelism outreach, we call them gospel outreaches, the fourth Saturday of the month. We went to Amelia Earhart Park. I was the fearless leader, so I could show no fear at all, though fear was lurking in my little dark soul. I'm leading two individuals who had, one I think was a seasoned individual who's been out before, the other one wasn't. We walk up to this guy at Amelia Earhart, he was in this one sort of pavilion area and as I'm walking up to him, I'm thinking, Lord, I was hoping the rain would just drive everybody away today. That way I could get credit for coming out, but not have to put myself on the line. Please don't look at me so religiously, okay? You call yourself a pastor? Yes, I do. A flawed one. And, and so, so what, 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 was, what was up with that? Here's what was up with that. I wanted the glory of man more than I wanted the glory of God. I wanted this guy to look at me and say, wow, you know, you're pretty cool. I want to listen to you. Rather than what many times happens, like, you want to talk to me about what? You nuts? You crazy? So at that moment, what was gripping me? The glory of man. What this guy's going to think of me. What was also gripping me? The glory of God. The glory of God won out. But I think the spear in my back was the two individuals walking with me. Because if I would have chickened out, (laughs) you know... I don't know. But isn't this true when you're at work and it's break time? Right? Isn't it true when, you've, when, when you're at a family reunion and it's time to share the gospel? And, you know, it's like I've spoken to my nephew five times before, and every time I do, he looks at me with those, Uncle Al, you're an idiot. You could have been an attorney and really been something, but you chose to be a pastor. Don't talk to me. Those eyes. You know those eyes? Now, whether he's thinking that or not, that's what I'm thinking he's thinking. Why? Because I, I love the glory of man. All right? And he doesn't like perk up when we talk about these things. Talk about Gator football, he perks up. Talk about the stock market, he's all there. Ours. You know, talk about business, real estate in Florida, he's there. Talk about your soul. Yep. Yeah. No. Got any more beer? Yeah. No. <laughs> and I like his glory. Now, this, one's even, this, one, this next one's even more, because that one's on one level, but there, there's another level as Christians where we fight this, isn't it? My son is in a co-op. Basically, this is a group of people that gather together to have a, a, a very gifted person teach them. In my son's case, it's chemistry and uh, literature, English literature. And in that co-op, one of our responsibilities is to set up and to break down. Okay, it's in a church, and so we have to break down a couple of the rooms and then set them up. And uh, like the last time I was there, I just looked at Joe, and I said, Joe, I hate doing this. And he goes, yeah, me too. I said, do you have the same thing? I said, yeah. It's like when everybody starts coming and like we're walking around setting up, it's like I hate, I hate that feeling. And in case you're not the, catching the drift, okay? Uh, I much prefer to have people say, Pastor Al who brings the word of God to us. Rather than, hey, you, when you set up next time, would you make sure that chair is there? You know, you, there wasn't a chair here last week, and would you get that table out of here and, hey, excuse me, I'm Pastor Al. <laughs> they don't know I'm Pastor Al. I'm the, dude that's, I'm the dude that's got the cart walking around really fast with sweat pouring off his face, you know? Everybody's laughing, hugging each other. Hey, there goes the guy that's setting up, you know? And, and I told Joe, I said, I said oh, Joseph, but Joseph, the glory of God is to go as low as we can and serve as hard as we can. Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom? Be servant of all. At that moment, I wasn't loving that glory. That's the glory of God. I was loving the glory of honor me. You know how people look at you like, oh, are you, are you the guy? You're the pastor. He's the pastor of the church here. I mean, it doesn't happen a lot, but it happens a little. It happens enough to really feel good, okay? Can I just be honest with you? Yes, I'm humble, but yes, I am the pastor here. How can I help you? Yeah. Versus the attitude of, hey, dude, you were late, okay? Next time, make sure there's enough chairs here. Hurry up. Okay, so what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. Jesus says in verse 43, that we cannot really believe God if we live for the glory of man versus the glory of God. So which glory do you live for? It's a daily battle, isn't it, friends? All right, let's let's fight it together. All right, next point. Some do believe Jesus' words. So first point, some can't believe Jesus' words. God's sovereign in salvation. Mystery, yes. True, yes. Study it. (laughs) Second point, some won't believe. Man, you are responsible. Whose glory are you living with? But then the third point, some do believe Jesus' words. And this is now Christ's message of salvation. Really, some theologians say that these verses comprise, verses 44 particularly through 46, comprise a summary of the gospel message of Jesus. Remember, this is his final public announcement. So for the last time publicly, verse 44, Jesus is going to cry out. Now remember, previously, in previous editions, Jesus cried out and said, I am the bread of life. Jesus cried out and said, I have the water that will give you life forever and ever. Jesus cried out and says, I am the light of the world. Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. In just three days, Jesus will cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus will cry out. He will cry out. It is finished. He will cry out into your hands. I commit my spirit. But here, his final teaching point, he cries out. So pay attention to what he says. Verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, Believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Note, note what Jesus cries out. First, verse 44, he cries out the following. If you believe in me, you're not believing in me, but you're believing in the one who sent me. That's God the Father. Secondly, Jesus cries out, In verse 45, if you see me, you're seeing the one who sent me. Do you want to see God? Look at me. Do you want to see God? Look at me. This is part of the reason why they crucified him. And he knew they were going to crucify him when he said that. And then look what else. He cries out, whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. See that verse 46, "I have come into the light as a world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness." Now, three things that he cries out. Three things that he cries out. "If you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. If you see me, you see the one who sent me, you see God. And because I am light, if you believe in me, you won't remain in darkness." Those are three promises, folks that we have. Will we believe those? Will we believe those? Will we believe those? See, here's the question. And really, the question is, is, is begged by verse 47. Let's just drop into that verse just really quickly, and we're going to jump back to these verses 44 to 46. Look what he says. He says in 47, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, all right, so you catch that? So we're going to extrapolate. We're going we're to deduce from that logically that if if he's going to be judging those who hear his word and don't keep them, it's because they don't believe in him, then we can extrapolate, I think, perfectly legally, grammatically, and every other way, back up to 44 to 46, to believe Jesus means to keep his word. See, it's not a believing of the rulers who were afraid to confess him, wanting approval of men. If you're afraid to confess Christ before men, he will not confess you before the Father. And it's not the believing that only hears but does not keep his word. It's a believing that bears fruit. It's a believing, listen, that causes one to move out of darkness into light. God calls you to believe the one who speaks God's words. That's Jesus. He has spoken God's word. Will you believe? Now, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, oh, I never grow tired of of just begging you. I beg you, believe. Believe that you need him. Believe that one day these words are going to come back to judge you. Jesus won't judge you, his words will judge you. Now, you could say his words and he, he, they're the same, they are. But Jesus came to save you, but these words will judge you. These words are true, they're fixed. They're a standard. They cannot change. Oh, believe Jesus. Humble yourself. Give it up. Tell God you're wrong. He's right. Live for Him. See your sin. I pray that God give you that ability this morning. Oh, I pray with all my heart. But I suspect for the great majority of us here, believing the one who speaks God's word has a lot more to do with what Corey preached last Sunday. What do you mean, Al? Well, here's what I mean. Remember he said that you can't believe if you live for man's glory rather than God's glory? Do you remember what Corey preached last week in John chapter 12, verses 24 to 26? And remember, 12 is really one contiguous argument. It's one, really one continual testimony of Christ. We're breaking it up for the purposes of preaching because we can't speak to you for hours on end. But really, 24 and 26 go very much with these verses. Look at them just for a moment. John 12, 24 to 26. This is by way of review from Corey's message last week. John 12, 24 to 26. Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So here's the question for you, dear Christian friend. Will you believe him and die? Heard a great sermon this week and just yesterday from a pastor... And he talked about this grain of wheat and how God made grains of wheat to die in dark, dirty places. And like grains of wheat, we resist dying because we want to live. But when the grain of wheat dies in a dark, dirty, lonely place, it sprouts up into new life. And he made this great point. He said, Jesus, at the very beginning of Christianity, dealt with the biggest foe of Christianity, which is self. You want what you want. You want God to bless what you want. You want God to be your servant, not you be his servant. And he says, you know what? Here's the deal. You die, then you follow me. So believing him is, can you die to what you want? Can you die to your demand for pleasure, for security, for whatever you think life is? Can you believe Jesus when he says, I'm the bread of life. I have the water of life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Not your ability to figure things out and do what you want to do, but I, I am the one. Die in faith and see that you live. Most of us Christians seated here right now, that's our challenge. And you know what? The thing you're thinking of is the area where God wants you to give it up and trust him and trust him. Will you believe the one who speaks God's word? Well, final point there in your notes All of us, all of us will be judged by Jesus' words on the last day. To not receive Jesus' words is the equivalent of rejecting Jesus. He will not judge you. His words will judge you. That's what it says in verses 47 to 50 of John 12. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words, notice that, If you don't receive Jesus' word, you're rejecting him. Don't say you love Jesus and not receive his word. That's impossible. You're a fool. You're wanting a Christless Christianity. You're wanting an easy believism. That is not Christianity. Period. You live against his words, you reject him. Period. Verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What I say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. At the end of verse 48, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For the believer, that judgment rests in Christ. He took my judgment because I break his word every day. For you unbeliever... That judgment rests squarely on your shoulders and will result in death. The day is coming. Please, bow your knee, believer and unbeliever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach this message. Lord, I pray that this message would engender, would produce, would stimulate life in those hearts that are dead. Lord, even though it was your will to harden hearts and and blind eyes back then, Jesus, we are now looking at post-cross, post-resurrection. And now, Lord, we know that you've come to save, not condemn. So, Lord, would you open blind eyes? Would you, would you soften hard hearts? Would you take high and lofty minds that think they have it figured out and humble them? Lord, would you comfort those that are struggling to believe you in an area where you're calling them to die? Would you give them the promise of new life? Lord, give us all hope. Give us all hope as we cry out to you this morning, Father. Oh Lord. Just want to read the words to the song that we're about to sing. You can put the words up on the uh, screen if you if you have them there. It's the word the song is entitled, All I Have Is Christ. All I Have Is Christ. We're going to end with this song. The first verse I once was lost in dark, darkest night. Yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. Oh, may God, may God soften your hearts, dear friends. May God give you grace this morning as we sing this song. Let's stand together and let's sing this song. All I have is Christ.